Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. So good to see you this morning. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth. We're going to be in Ruth this morning. You know, just, I just got to say a few words, man. If you were here last Sunday night, just thank you so much. It was an amazing night of worship and prayer. And uh, my hope, yes, you can praise God for that. My hope is that we will have, you know, more of those kinds of things that we can do to just see the Spirit of God work and move. And man, we just got back last week or a couple days ago from our elder retreat. We left from the, you know, this having this amazing night of worship and prayer. And then uh, we spent uh, about four or five days really just seeking the Lord about what He has next for us. Man, I'm just so excited. You know, I say, I know we say this every year, but I just know this year more than ever, just feeling the sense of, of guidance and direction from the Holy Spirit for our church, I just am so thrilled about. So uh, in the next coming weeks and months, we'll be sharing with you some of the things that came out of our, our week away. Um, but today we're beginning our new, our new sermon series in the book of Ruth. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you have ever read the book of Ruth. or it's, it's, a, it's a short book in the Old Testament. It's only four chapters long. It's, it's in between the book of Judges and the book of 1 Samuel. And it's one of those, again, you can probably sit down and read it within 12 to 15 minutes, um, but it is, a, it is a wonderful story. And, and, and what makes a good story good, you ever wonder, you know, you, people love the book of Ruth, they read it, it's, it's like, oh, I just love this story. What makes a good story? What makes a story one of those things like, oh, this is just, I love this. You know, one of the things that we asked each other on the retreat this past week is, what's your favorite movie? Well, what makes a movie what makes a book? What makes that a story of a story that you can resonate with? And as I was thinking about that, you know, I came up with some things that I think have to be a part of a really good story, and we see them here in this story of Ruth and why I think it resonates with our souls. The first one is this: you know, your story has to have a meaning to it. It can't just be a lot of visual effects and blowing things. I know there are movies like that. But there has to be a message, a meaning, a purpose to the story. I remember asking a, uh, a, a writer years ago, or a while ago, like, hey, why do you write stories? And it was, you know, because there, there's a, there's, gave me different reasons, but one of them was because there's a message I want to share with the world. And, and that's why Jesus, that's why God puts stories in his word, because there's a message here that he wants to share with the world. One of the things I used to always do uh, with my children when they were younger, we would go watch a movie at the theaters, and then afterwards, I'd always ask them, "Hey, what was the message of that movie? What was what, what was the you know? Yes, there you could tell me the story of it, but what's the message of it?" And I always did that so I could train them to not just sit there and just absorb you know the, you know any message that comes from Hollywood. I want them to be able to say, "Hey, that one might might have been a really fun movie to watch, but the message wasn't good at all." And so we got to make sure that we don't just fall in love with stories, but what's the meaning or the message within the story? The second component is it's got to have a good ending, right? Like a good movie, a good, it's better have a good, you don't want to get to the end of the, of the story and be like, just a complete letdown. You could have a phenomenal movie and all of a sudden the last five minutes the thing falls apart like, oh, you know, it was, all, it was okay, the ending horrible. And if that was a good ending, you'd feel completely differently about it. I remember years ago when I was in college, and my friend's like, oh, you got to see this new movie. And, you know, we're Generation X. And so everything was kind of, you're just, you're depressed and nothing was right in the world. And I remember they're like, you got to watch this movie called Seven. It's about the seven deadly sins. And I do not recommend you watching that movie. But it was, it was just, it was just this dark, depressing movie. And you're thinking at the end, like, I hope something good at the end happens. It doesn't. 
The entire movie is just a one big thing of life is hard and evil and dark and wicked, and at the end, you die. Thank you for your money. That, that's not, I'm just telling you, I don't like movies like that. I know life is hard. I know there's dark things. I want, to be, I want there to be a sense of, yes, things can be hard and difficult, but there's hope. And so you've got to have a good ending. Ruth has a phenomenal ending. It begins with death and famine, but it ends with the birth, with the birth of a king. There's a story there, but here's the question. How does it go from famine and death to the birth of a king? Well, that's the third component of a story that really you know, resonates with us. And that is, you have to have, there has to be a crisis of, that has to be resolved and how you get there. You know, d- does that make sense? That, yeah, here's the conflict. Here's, here's the massive issue that we've got to work through. And how do we address it? And that is what I think is so beautiful about the book of Ruth. That our ideas of, okay, here's a problem and how should we fix it is different. The story of Ruth resonates with us because if we were to write the story, we wouldn't write the story the way it's written. You know, we would come up with our own ideas. And the reason I share this, these ideas about a story is because all of us, every single one of us, is living out our story. And that's why stories are so meaningful to all of us as, as human beings because we love to stories that will give us meaning and, and purpose and hope to, in our lives. I remember my dad saying, you know, when Star Wars first came out in 1977, you know, my dad, was, you know, he was a youth pastor during those years, and he just said, man, all the movies in the 70s were just depressing and dark. And it's like Star Wars was the first movie that came out in years that was hopeful. The bad guys died at the end and the good guys won. And just people flocked to the movie theaters to see it. There's something about a good story that, that just connects to our souls and says, you can have hope. That's what the story of Ruth is all about. The problem is you and I get in the way. We, we, we get in these moments in our life, and, and I promise you, if you've lived long enough, you end up saying something like this. I didn't think my life would be like this. I didn't, I didn't think this would turn out the way it did. I didn't think my marriage would look like this. I didn't think my kids would be like, I didn't think my, my career would look like this. There's some level of, I thought my life would look differently than it does now. That troubles us, and it challenges us. And there's some sorrow and some some disappointment that we have to work through. And here's a bigger problem than that, is that typically when we get to that moment where it says, yeah, I just wish things were different, we tend to take charge and say, okay, I'm going to make it better. As opposed to turning it over to God and say, letting God, God, you got to finish writing the story. I've made a mess of things. No, what ends up happening is we start taking control and we start messing things up. I'm going to give you an illustration. Um, over about, about 100 years ago, there was, a, there was a painter in the 1930s named uh, Elias Martinez. And he, you know, he, he taught art at a, at a local university in Spain. He lived in uh, the, the town of Borja, Spain. And he painted a fresco in 1930 called Behold the Man. There it is right there. And, um, you know, as you can see, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. You can tell, obviously, the person who painted that um, has some skill Nothing really remarkable about it, but it is a beautiful picture of Christ and just capturing his moment before the cross. 
Well, as you can see, that painting is chipping. And, and as beautiful as this painting was, there was a parishioner that saw this beautiful painting starting to erode with time and with weather and with wet, you know, water, and, and she wanted to do something about it. So this older parishioner went home, she got some paint, and she tried to fix the painting, and this is what she ended up doing. Did you ever see this? This is about 2012. This became a, a news story. Um, the original picture is called Behold the Man. This painting was appropriately called Behold the Monkey. And, uh, you know, I remember when this came out, it was just like, oh my goodness. Now, the good news, now, now in all defense, the older woman, when she painted this, she said, I wasn't finished yet. So, I mean, we don't know how it might have turned out. But I'm glad they stopped her. Um, but, but that's what we do with our lives. Things start going wrong, and we start saying, God, give me the pen. I'm going to start writing what I want my life. I'm going to, I'm going to, fix, I'm going to fix my kids. I'm going to fix my marriage. I'm going to fix it. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with being intentional. There's nothing wrong with being, in, with being personal, purposeful. But the problem that many of us have is we try to fix the problems in our lives through our own means, in our own methods, in our own timing. And we end up making a bigger mess than the mess we already had. The story of Ruth reminds us we don't have to make that mistake. That, that, that when, if God is working, that we can have hope. In fact, that's the main idea of the book of Ruth, that you can take hope because God is, is, we have a God who works all things together for good. That verse that we read in the beginning, that is a very popular verse. It's a beloved verse. It's a verse that gives us hope. And, and, and I know that for some of you, I mean, hearing that verse, it, 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 it might be hit a raw spot because you're saying, I don't know how things could work out together for good to those who love God. But, but Ruth is a story that should give us to hope. It says, here's a story, similar, maybe not all the details, but similar, that when God, when you allow God to do His work, He can work all things together for the good. And so here's what we're going to do. I want us to read through the, or read through the book of Ruth. Um, it will take us about 14 minutes to do that. You're not just going to hear me read it because uh, you'll get bored. But what we did as a church is we, we produced a dramatic reading of the story of Ruth. And you can follow along word for word in the scriptures. And so we'll have it played for you right now. If you want to open up your Bible to the book of Ruth and just read along as, as it's pronounced, we'll have some paintings to go along with the reading so you can kind of see some visuals. But I want you to just, let's just take a step back. Let's listen to this story. And let's come back and say, God, why is this story in the Bible? What's the themes here of what we need to keep learning and growing in that, we, that for us today so that we can have hope? All right, let's, let's listen. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They are Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, 
and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Has Naomi returned? It's Naomi. Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The The Lord Lord bless bless you. you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman 
who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name in whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. And put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. 
At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. He said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here, and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me, that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. He drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Limelech and all that belonged to Kilian and to Malin. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malin, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We, we are, are witnesses. witnesses. May, May the, the Lord, Lord make, make the, the woman who is coming, coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. 
and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. What a beautiful story. Now, let's just be honest. There's parts of that story that, that, that again, we can, we can relate to. That, you know, we, we can see the, the, the heartache of Naomi and the bitterness that she has from her loss. And we see this, the love between a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law. We see this, this kindness of Boaz. And, but there's also some things in the story that don't make a lot of sense. Like, what's going on with Ruth meeting Boaz and uncovering his feet? That sounds a little weird. Uh, what, what's going on with this Redeemer kinsman kind of talk? Like, what is going on? There's, there's, there's parts of the story that are easy for us to relate to, other parts that we're kind of like, oh, we have to travel back into that time to fully understand what's going on. But, but beyond the details, I believe that there, there are themes in this book that God is bringing to our attention to say, this is how you need to, this is why you can have hope. This is why you can have famine and death in the beginning and a new birth and life in the end. And the first theme that we see in the book of Ruth is the theme of providence. The theme of providence. And the the theme of providence is this idea that God is always working. God is always working. Now, one of the things that we see in this passage or throughout this book is that God does not speak directly to anyone. We don't see a prophet, we don't see a priest, we don't see a king, we don't see a warrior. We, we don't see God intervening and have, giving someone a dream, or we don't see you know, any visions. We simply see ordinary people doing normal things. And one of the things that, that I believe we need to recognize is that we love it when God parts the sea. We love the stories in the Bible, you know, he shuts the mouths of the lions. We love the supernatural acts of God. But for the most part, God, and God can do that today. He can do that in any one of our lives. But for the most part, where I see the majority of God's activity in our lives is through the hand of providence. And it's God's working through ordinary people in ordinary ways. We see this in the book of Ruth. We see Naomi and Elimelech leave with their family, suffer tragedy. We'll look at that next week, why their tragedy, you know, there, there's some things that they did that, that weren't good. But, but nonetheless, they experience this tragedy, and all of a sudden, you know, 
what's Naomi to do? Well, she just so happens to hear that the famine is over. How did she hear about that? Providence. She just so happens to go back at the time of barley harvest. Chance? No, it's providence. And she, and Ruth, when Ruth goes out to glean in the fields to, to, to provide some kind of sustenance for her and Naomi, she just so happens to go to the field of Boaz, a relative. You see, so many times in life, there's, there's, we, we can think, see things working out, and it's just, it just so happened. Listen, there are no circumstances or, or, or just kind of happenstances with God. There's nothing that just happens. Things happen because God is working to orchestrate things out. And many times we don't see it until we look in the rearview mirror. And we begin to see, oh, God, that's why you kept that job for me. Oh, God, now I know why you had us wait to have children. There are always things that when they feel disappointing and, and, and sorrowful in the moment, that we look back through the lens of providence and say, God, thank you. You were working even when I didn't see it, even though I couldn't feel it. You were there and you were working, and that's exactly what we see in the story of Ruth. So providence. We've got to remember that no matter where you are in your story, God is not taking a vacation. God's not abandoned you. God is here and he's there and he's working in you and he's working around you. He never stops working. The second theme is this, the theme of kindness. The theme of kindness. You know, sometimes the only thing that you can control is how you love others. This word kindness or the Hebrew word has said is in strategic parts in the narrative. And this word has said is used to describe the compassionate, the merciful, the steadfast love of God many times throughout Scripture. It, it's, we see it pronounced when, when Moses is on Mount Sinai and God announces who he is. And twice, it's the only term he uses twice, this term of has said, of my steadfast love for you. This is who I am. God's very nature is has said. God doesn't have to be convinced. He doesn't have to be, you know, you know God, please. Let, no, God loves because that's the nature of him to show has said. Loving kindness, steadfast love. And what we see in this passage, what we see in this book, is we see the narrative change. We, we, we see the tragedy and the heartache and the loss of Naomi, of her husband and her children. And she's walking back as a broken, bitter woman. In fact, when she goes to the town, what does she say? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me, but my life has not turned out the way I wanted it to. And I, God, has, God is against me. And there's one thing that starts changing the narrative. And what is it? It's one person. It's the woman, Ruth. It's Ruth's kindness that sets off a chain reaction of kindness throughout the story. It's Ruth's kindness to say, no, Naomi, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to go with you, even though I know by saying I'm going with you, I'm basically saying I'm, I'm signing up for a life of poverty because I want to be kind and, and help take care of you. And it was that kindness that led to her when she's in the field of Boaz, Boaz hearing of what she has done and, and mentioning, I've heard of the kindness that you've done to Naomi. And what does Boaz do? He starts showing kindness to her and taking care of her and protecting her and giving her provisions. 
And because of that kindness, Naomi then, chapter 3 says, listen, Ruth, you can't just be a worker in the fields all day. I want you to have a husband. You deserve to have a husband. Go to Boaz tonight and ask him if he will marry you. And when, Naomi, when Ruth goes there, she doesn't follow along Naomi's plans. In fact, she's like, um, well, Boaz, I don't just care about you marrying me. I want you to redeem the family that, that my, my former husband. And Boaz then shows kindness to Ruth and Naomi by redeeming them and giving them a family line. There's just a, it all begins with love. It all begins with kindness. That when, 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 when things are working in our lives, when we are experiencing the things in our life that are not good, the not good in life, and we can all name those not good things, that we can say, this is not working out. This, my life is turning out differently than I wanted it to. That many times the only thing that we can do, the only thing we can control when things are outside of our control is how kind we are to people and the love we show to people. That's the one thing you can control. And it's the one thing Ruth knew how to do. And it's because of that kindness, it changed the story of their, of their lives. And not just changed the story of her family, of Naomi, it changed history. Because who came out of this act of kindness? King, the, King David. Who came from the line of David? Jesus. See, we have no idea the chain reaction of kindness that will come when we do what, when we when we step out to love others. You know, one of the things that that bless one of the reasons I love the, the blessed strategy is that it's truly helped me to have an intentionality with my life, and, and not just reaching out to others, but showing love to others. And one of the things, the practices I've just tried to do on a regular basis is. When I go out to eat, I just ask the server, how can I pray for you? And so I do that quite often. There are a few times when I ask, they're like, no, I don't need any prayer. Great, good, we'll just have our meal. Um, but there are times when God, I can see God's hand working. And um, about two months ago, I was at a restaurant, first watch over here, off right across the street from Burkdale, and I was had a, a breakfast appointment with someone, and we, you know, we're, we're meeting there, and the waitress comes over, and, and she starts taking our order. And, and, you know, as she comes and brings the food, I said, hey, we're about to, we're about to bless our meal. Um, do you need any prayer this morning? And she's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm struggling with, um, with reco- some recovery things. And, and uh, so just pray that I would be able to take the next step. And I was like, okay, we'll pray for you. I got her name. We pray for her. And um, later on, I just, she came back and just slipped a little note by me and and as we just kept meeting, and as we got, as I got up to leave, I completely forgot about this little note, but my, my friend was like, hey, she, she gave you a snow here. So I just grabbed it, put it in my pocket, and we paid for our meal and left. And later, I got out, I got out of the restaurant, and I opened up this little piece of paper, and she said, um, thank you for asking to pray for me today. I'm, I'm, an, I'm struggling with deep issues of addiction and the will to live. And when you, when you ask to pray for me, it showed me that God is there and he cares for me. I, I don't know what's happened to this girl, but I'll tell you what, that one act of kindness made a difference in her life. You see, listen, bless isn't about doing your spiritual homework. It's not like, did you eat your broccoli today? No, no bless is simply a tool we can use to show the loving kindness of Jesus to those who need it. You know, you know, when I think about the kindness of Ruth, that there's a deeper and greater kindness that, that transcends all kindness, and that's the kindness of Jesus for us. 
And so, so we, not just have, we don't just have, it's not just about our kindness of how we can conjure it up. Our kindness comes from a greater and deeper source, and that's the person of Jesus. And that leads us to the last theme. The last theme that beyond providence and, and beyond kindness, the theme of redemption. Redemption. That God, if God is working in providence and through his providence, and God is working through his, his providential loving kindness through Hesed, that it's through his working and his love that he works all things together for the good. All things for good. That is what redemption is about. Redemption is this word that means to buy back. Something that is, it was used a lot, in, in, especially in the New Testament, to, to describe someone that has been sold into slavery and then their freedom bought for them. But, but you see in this story the, the constant idea of redeemer, a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. Well, what's going on there? Now, I'm gonna, we're not gonna, we can't get deeply into it this morning, but culturally we see this idea of leveret marriage is what it's called, or a kinsman redeemer. Now, when I explain this to you, some of you are going to be like, thank God I don't live back then, okay? But here it's, we see this in the book of Genesis, we see the, the rules or the standards spelled out in, um, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy for the people of God. But, but here's what leveret marriage is, or a kinsman redeemer is about. Um, I'm going to use my, my life as an example again. Um, this is what would happen. If, if, I, if me and my wife, Liz, if we lived um, you know, 3,000 years ago in ancient Israel, what would happen is if we got married... And let's say we were married for a few years, but we didn't have any children, um, and I died. I passed away. What would, what would be then expected is I have two brothers. I have an older brother and a younger brother. And my older brother would be expected to have a leveret marriage with Liz, marry her, and would, would try to produce a child with her, and hopefully a son and when, and when they would come together and they would have a son, that son would be my son. The whole idea is the person that's died, the person that, that, whose line is about to go out, that their line doesn't go out. That, that it doesn't fade away into distant memory. That's what's going on here. Naomi and Ruth, they, they, remember she, she dies, she's like, when she says, go back to your homeland, what she says is, even if I slept with a man tonight and had a child, would you going to wait around 15, 16 years for this child to grow up so that you can then have a child? No, no. Move on with your life. And so this idea of redemption, this idea of someone coming to save and rescue a family from death, from their name being no more, this is at the center of the story. And Boaz is that man. Boaz is the man who risks, and, and the reason why at the very end where the guy's like, I can't risk it, is because when you have a leveret marriage, it, it, you, you then are saying, I'm putting my best, I'm giving my best for them. I'm not going to worry about my own inheritance, my own children. I want to make sure that my brother's name continues on. And that's what Boaz does. This idea of redemption is what we need. This idea of what was lost what is dead is now alive. And that little baby, little baby Obed, was this symbol of redemption that Naomi thought she was this woman whose family line was all gone. And yet God gave her another son. It's a beautiful story. And the reason why it's so important for us is because all of us, all of us need redemption. 
Not, not just this redemption of our, our lives. It, this story of Ruth should give us encouragement that this is the kind of God that we serve. But there's a bigger story than just my, my life turning out the way I want it to. Because the story of redemption in the book of Ruth is a, is a foreshadowing of the greater biblical narrative of redemption. The redemption of mankind. The redemption of the family of God. The redemption that Jesus came. Jesus came in, in the perfect timing and in the right way. God's providence. God, Jesus showed up. And through Jesus' love, through His kindness, He lived His life for us. And He died a death that He didn't deserve for us, Him in our place. We who are headed for death and distinction, Jesus stepped in and said, I'm come to bring you new life. This story of Ruth is a story for all of us because all of us need redemption. We all need redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that through Christ, that's what that promise we read at the very beginning, that, that we know that, that, that in Christ, through Christ, all things work together for good, for them that know God, for them that, that, that are called according to His purpose. <coughs> through it's only through Jesus. It's only through his promise. It's only through his blood. It's only through a relationship with him that the promise of all things for good are possible. And that's my application. Take hope. This morning, take hope. That's it. How many of you this morning, when you walked in here, had hope for your life? How many of you had hope for your marriage? How many of you have hope for your family? Have hope for your own, own spiritual life. This story reminds us that God is always working. Take hope because God is always working. And he works through ordinary people in ordinary ways. Take hope because God loves you. There's a kindness that he has shown you through Jesus. Take hope because maybe it's your kindness that will be the chain reaction that will set it off to change the narrative of your life for someone you love around you. Take hope because God is in the business of redeeming, moving people from death to life. That's our God. Take hope today. Leave here with the hope that Jesus wants you to have. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As we close our time here this morning, I guess the, the first question I need to ask you is this. Do you have hope? Do you have hope for a future? Do you have hope in Jesus? Do you know for sure if you were to die today that you would be with God in heaven? That kind of hope. If you don't have that hope today, please come talk to us. You can come see me after in the lobby. You can talk to one of our prayer team members. They have a white lanyard on. A little sign that says, how can I pray for you? That we, They would love to meet with you and talk with you about how you know that for sure you can have hope in Jesus. But maybe... Let me ask you this. Which one of those three words resonated the most with you? Providence, kindness, redemption. One of those words, I believe the Spirit is saying, that's for you. That word is meant to stir up in you this understanding that God wants you to have hope today. Let's not, let, let's not take the, the pen out. Let's not take the pencil out of the hand of God and try to do our own thing and make a mess of it. Let's follow him in the fullness of who he is. Father, I thank you so much 
that you are a God of redemption. That you are a God who's working. You never stop working. And so God, we can rejoice and be glad knowing that we have this great joy in you. Lord, I pray for every person in this room this morning that God, you would give them a sense of hope that they need. They need you. So God, give us Give us a sense of your presence that we need. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.